the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello and welcome to the Situation Report today. This is the show where we do our very best to give you the information and perspectives you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. My name is Jeremy Stolniker. Very glad to have you joining this conversation. And today we're going to talk about something we have not talked about in quite a while. Now we have talked about tech, technology, social media platforms. We've talked about all this in the past, but it's been a while. Uh, So many other things going on in the world, of course. But today we're going to have another conversation about technology broadly, technology policy. Specifically, we're going to talk about cryptocurrency for just a few minutes and get a perspective on what's happening in that space. If you're following the news at all, you know there's a lot of movement, uh, downward negative movement in the crypto space. And uh, we've had conversations about crypto in the past as well. But uh, some specific uh, situations are unfolding. We're trying to figure all of that out. And I'm grateful to have on a guest today that spends his days thinking about this for the Heritage Foundation. Jake Denton is with us today. Jake is a research associate associate of tech policy at uh, the Heritage Foundation. And as you'll hear in this interview, he talks about his background a little bit. He spent a lot of time thinking about this and advising even conservative politicians on legislation related to technology and how we should best view technology and understand it. He spent some time in this interview, and I'm thankful that he did, uh, really giving us a primer on why we should care about this area, an area that many people have just decided they're not going to worry about. And yet we need to. Uh, This area, technology, touches all of our lives. It touches everything that we do. And we need to understand it so that we can know how to navigate in this area. Very grateful for today's guest, Jake Denton. Before we jump into that, though, um, I would imagine if you've been to the grocery store recently, you've noticed that things are more expensive. Gas is more expensive. It doesn't matter where you live in this country. Things are more expensive. The economy, our economic future is uncertain. And we have to ask ourselves the question, what is it that we can do to protect our financial future for our families, for our children? What can we do personally? Uh, One of the things I would recommend is at least considering uh, adding gold and silver into your IRA, your investment accounts. Take a look, figure out how to do that, and see if that is the right fit for you. The place that you can start is with Lear Capital. Call Lear Capital, and you can get their free precious metals investor guide. You can also ask them about their Lear Advantage IRA that lets you transfer or roll over your old 401k or IRA into a gold and silver tax advantage IRA. Plus, Lear is offering right now Crazy shipping, uh, free shipping, and up to $15,000 in bonus gold or silver with a qualified purchase. This is something you at least need (laughs) to take a look at. You can call for details, 800-489-6450. Lear Capital is the most rated precious metals company on consumer affairs with a near-perfect rating on Trustpilot. Call them at 800-489-6450. That is 800-489-6450. Calling that number, you will get your free kit and there 
You will learn how gold has performed during periods of inflation, government debt, interest rate hikes, economic crashes, even wars, and how in all of those gold has been the financial bedrock asset in portfolios. Uh, One of the things I love about Lear Capital is that they are an American-owned company, proud to do business with Americans that share conservative values. Write this number down, 800-489-6450. Call them today, or if you don't want to call, you can click the link below in the show description and the show notes. Check them out. You will do yourself a great service by at least investigating Lear and what they have to offer. Jake, thanks for joining me. Really appreciate your time today. This is a this is a complicated topic that we're going to jump into, but I know you can make it plain for people like me. So I appreciate you coming on and doing it. Absolutely, thank you for having me. Let's uh, let's start for those that aren't familiar with you personally. Uh, talk about your background, how you got into uh, doing the work that you're doing right now. You write on technology and a lot of other areas, of course. But uh, give us your background, where you got into all of this. Yeah, so uh, you know, my previous uh, career path, I was a campaign consultant, if you will, helping candidates write policy issues and kind of that would resonate with the American people. Um, and so, I had dove really headfirst into the tech sector because a lot of my uh, kind of candidates I would work with were censored and you know taken offline, and uh, it caused me a lot of headaches. And so, I really learned the ins and outs of kind of the tech policy world from kind of a conservative censorship perspective. And that ultimately brought me to the Heritage Foundation, where I'm now a research associate in the Tech Policy Center. So I'm working with now elected officials to help kind of sort through the regulatory mess that is tech policy and try and get Americans some relief from this uh, Silicon Valley kind of chaos. Um, I I would like to talk about crypto. That's what uh, that's what I just mentioned. But then you said something about Twitter. So I have to ask you, what do you think about what's happening at Twitter right now? I, it's long overdue, this kind of uh, <laughs> blowing up of, you know, yeah. America's like premier platform for discourse. Um, I think he w- he waited a little long in terms of kind of locking people out and firing. You know, we saw some weird last minute uh, band waves, um, some funny business that, you know, could have been avoided if he had kind of been ruthless on day one and right. just kind of pulled the trigger. But um, I think he's learned his lesson. You know, these firings have been great. Um, he's sending a message that it's not going to be the same old, same old. So uh, I think it's all good. I was actually personally banned uh, for about four or five days yeah. right up before the election. Just totally arbitrary. Uh, it was one of these kind of final hurrahs for one of these content moderation employees. So um, it's good to see the direction it's going. Do you think that he can get it back to a platform that people other than legacy users want to use? Can he pull a new audience in? It's going to be interesting, you know, if he takes it a new direction, adds new features. Uh, he's looking to bring back Vine um, actually inside oh, the application. So yeah. for those who don't know, it's essentially the original TikTok. Um, and so that could potentially bring uh, this younger generation that didn't really jump onto Twitter. Um, you know, a lot of Twitter nowadays is politicians, journalists right. kind right. of just arguing with each other. Um, so we could see potentially a shift towards more popular culture under Elon. I think he has a good uh, kind of blueprint for how he could merge the two worlds together mm-hmm. and expand the platform. It's going to be interesting to see what happens there, um, of course. But something that's happening right now is uh, in the crypto space. Um, let's let's just jump into the conversation around FTX. There are a lot of people that may be listening that don't know what that is. 
um, that have seen some things in the news. This has become a very mainstream story. But for those that aren't aware, what is the exchange and who are kind of the, the main players that we can talk about as we move forward? Yeah, so FTX is a cryptocurrency exchange. So it serves a similar purpose uh, for an individual. You know, if you were to purchase stocks from, say, like Charles Schwab, you know, people are familiar with that experience. It's the same type of thing, but for a different uh, asset. So you're buying cryptocurrency often from your phone, um, and it kind of serves as like a holding wallet as well. So you can keep it on the platform uh, for ease of trading uh, circumstances. Um, so it originated out of this group called Alameda Research, uh, which was founded in 2017 by a guy named Sam Bankman for uh, Bankman Freed. Um, so he had a ton of success with this Alameda research, which got their money from trading cryptocurrency. Um, it was, you know, basically a private equity firm. Yeah. Uh, so they spun up a F FTX, which is kind of an exchange. Um, and they saw a gap in the market. They were, you know, seeing that users couldn't figure out how to use or buy crypto. So they made it consumer friendly. Um, they partnered with people like Tom Brady, you know, these kind of popular culture figures who could make it uh, appealing to the average yeah. individual. Um, so they do this big PR campaign. Uh, they skate past all sorts of regulatory efforts. Um, and overnight, essentially, they become the premier global exchange for cryptocurrency. And it was something of like a business miracle. Uh, you know, how could this kind of dorky teenager of sorts, right. you know, <laughs> come to the, the top of the world? You yeah. know, you have Sequoia Capital, one of the premier venture capital firms calling him a genius. You have Fortune Magazine calling him uh, the next Warren Buffett. And then it all crashes down the day after the election day. And, you know, this is only a three-year-ish run of being the global, you know, leader. Um, and so the last few days, people have been poking through the rubble. Uh, you know, how did this happen? You know, overnight success and then, you know, out of nowhere, overnight collapse. Um, and so what we've come to find out over the last few days is the extent to which Sam Bankman uh, Freed is kind of connected to the Democrat political apparatus. Um, his mother runs a uh, political action pact for Silicon Valley elites called Mind the Gap. They donate roughly $200 million a cycle to far left candidates. Uh, his brother, I broke this news on Twitter the other day, actually worked for Congressman Sean Kasten out of Illinois, who sits on the Financial Services Committee uh, that's tasked with regulating the cryptocurrency sector. His father, actually hmm. Joe uh, Bankman, uh, he works uh, kind of in this tax law uh, frame of sorts, wrote Elizabeth Warren's tax policy. Uh, he's the one who drafted her tax legislation. So the more you pull here, it gets crazier and crazier. The aunt actually worked for the World Economic Forum, who listed uh, FTX yeah. as you know an emerging company and one of their great partners. Of course. And so <laughs> it's like this thing never ends. And now we have speculation that's kind of becoming a little more mainstream now as we learn more that it was actually a bit of a money laundering operation for FTX to you know be established in the Ukraine. Uh, so people are kind of like sifting through all sorts of rumors, allegations. It's really hard to, you know, decide what's real, but it's undeniable that they were intertwined with the left. And ultimately what collapsed this, uh, this firm is they were using customer funds. So you put, you know, let's say a hundred dollars onto FTX. They were taking that hundred dollars without, you knowing, putting in an Alameda research and doing high risk gambling of sorts, investing into other companies. You didn't agree to that. You know, your money right. is just taken out of your account and then gambled. Um, and there are rumors right now that uh, they've actually been insolvent, meaning they don't have enough money to back uh, withdrawals 
since almost April, which means their lobbying efforts have been, you know, misleading congressmen on Capitol Hill. They were working with the SEC to basically establish a regulatory monopoly over the United States. And, you know, there are two scenarios here. You give our regulators the benefit of the doubt that they didn't know the full story and that, uh, you know, maybe there was uh, some funny business on FTX's side, which, you know, that draws concerns as an American that they aren't doing their due diligence. And then on the other side, they knew and they were okay with it because they were getting kickbacks from Sam Bankman-Fried over $40 million this last election cycle. So either way, very concerning across the board. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Can you talk about the Ukraine piece? You mentioned it in passing, and I think that's been one of the big um, items in, in kind of the mainstream news around this, the story around it. And so if I was asked this morning, you know, what do you know about this? I'd say, well, apparently the money we gave to Ukraine has been laundered through FTA. <laughs> but I, I, don't, I don't know any more than that, right? But that seems to be kind of the talking point. Can you talk about what people mean when they discuss that? Yeah, so it's very speculative at this point. Sure. I'll stipulate it with that. Yeah, sure. um, this is all Twitter journalism because the mainstream really isn't. Well, that's diving. where we get all of our journalism now. So, yep. yeah. <laughs> so uh, essentially, the the claim here is that FTX kind of cozies up to regulators here in the states, and Ukrainian uh, war conflict breaks out. Uh, Ukraine uses FTX as like a portal for donations. You're actually able to donate crypto to the Ukraine mm. relief effort. Um, through FTX. And so they'll do the work of, you know, taking in, let's say your Bitcoin, turning it into the Ukrainian currency of choice, and then helping in the relief effort. Um, And supposedly they moved uh, roughly like $40 million or something like that is the claim. Um, But they stopped keeping track uh, around like, I don't know, early summer. So they just stopped bank, you know, kind of keeping track of how much money was going in and out. They never updated the numbers. Um, and then what you find is that there are a lot of claims that the Ukraine actually invested uh, using military funds into FTX. They were actually an investor into the platform. And then when you take a step back, you know, Ukraine doesn't have money. We give Ukraine their money. Right, right, so that, right. that basically goes full circle because in that scenario, which is still speculative, you would have – lawmakers sending money to Ukraine, Ukraine putting the money into FTX, and then FTX and their founder, Sam Bankman-Fried, are both lobbying and just philanthropically essentially donating to political candidates, all of the left persuasion. Um, And so you basically have state-sponsored campaigning um, just laundered through the Ukraine. And part of the collapse was that several billion dollars, I don't know what the number is, are just missing. 
just unaccounted for and missing. And that's where the speculation around this particularly comes into play, right? Yeah, and then uh, even more shocking, you know, this all collapses. He's uh, Sam Bankman-Fried's being hold, held in the Bahamas under uh, supervision uh, <laughs> by the Royal Bahamas Police. And then they get hacked, like the minute all the funds get uh, frozen. Wow. And uh, an additional, I believe, roughly $400 million is drained from FTX accounts. And so, poof, all the remaining funds go away. And it's like, okay, was that a genuine hack or was that them on the back end pulling funds so that they would have something to play with? Uh, Caroline Ellison is the CEO of Alameda Research. Mm. She actually was in Hong Kong and is attempting to flee to Dubai uh, to avoid extradition. And that's not something an innocent person does, right? right? This is a, that's basically an incriminating act in itself. And so you start to really question um, how big of a criminal enterprise this could have possibly been. Um, who knew what? When did they know it? Um, there are a lot of rumors floating around in this online space, you know, on top of uh, the speculation that they had been insolvent since April, um, that the cross-pollination between Alameda Research and FTX essentially necessitated that the whole staff knew they were taking funds from FTX and putting it into Alameda. There's no way that just slides under the radar. Right. Um, so across the board, this is something straight out of you know a Hollywood movie. Um, every time there's a new breaking story, it's like there's no way this could possibly be real. Uh, but sure enough, <laughs> it's yeah. all real. One of the one of the interesting things about crypto, and I think one of the desirable things about cryptocurrencies, is that it is it's not heavily regulated. It's decentralized. I mean, that's that's the selling point. And yet this calls a lot of that into question. Um, what does this do to the broader crypto markets, if anything? How does this impact what's happening? I, I mean, we've been seeing a huge slide. Bitcoin is, is well off of its highs. Um, every other crypto is. What does this do to the larger crypto market? Yeah, so the crypto market is essentially experiencing what we're calling the FTX contagion effect, meaning mm. it's such a small environment. Uh, when one domino falls, they kind of all are impacted, right? And so, um, you know, from the Bitcoin price to just other exchanges, uh, you know, if any of your listeners have money in a crypto wallet, they probably got an email this week saying, we have enough funds, don't panic. Mm -hmm. Or they got the other even scarier email saying, we actually have no money um, and you should panic. <laughs> you know, your, your funds are frozen. So there are essentially two paths, but yep. every exchange is feeling the need to, to reach out to their customer. And it's showing that there's a great deal of uncertainty. Um, and regulators know that here in Washington, um, they're all kind of on the, on the, frontier of this. They're uh, pushing for new efforts. Um, you know, important names to note here, Gary Gensler yeah. uh, is the SEC chairman, uh, former chairman of the CFTC, Commodities Future uh, Trading Commission. Um, he was actually the boss of Caroline Ellison's father at MIT. Oh, wow. And Caroline Ellison's father was working with the SEC to create a more favorable regulatory environment um, for FTX in particular. Um but now that this is kind of, you know, this house of cards has collapsed and FTX, the golden boy of the crypto world, is no longer valuable for the, the Democrats, mm -hmm. um, look to them to just drop the hammer in terms of regulation. I mean, this is the sacrificial lamb. You know, right. they can't launder money or get donation dollars anymore. So crypto is worthless to them. And, you know, they'll tout that not only the terrorist line, but that all their constituents lost money. 
Um, you know, they, they talk all the time that this is the vehicle by which ISIS funds their operations. And, um, so they're going to pile on and, you know, not financial advice by any means, but this sector is going to implode. I mean, there's no way it survives this regulatory, uh, hammer. That's just inevitable. Is this impacting uh, crypto around the world as well? The United States, we talk about it and some people understand it and play in it. Many do not. Some places around the world, uh, this is how things are bought and sold. Will this impact that as well? Yeah. So the U.S. is interesting in that we've had a lot stricter uh, regulatory environment for kind of the alternative coins, um, you know, things outside of Bitcoin and Ethereum. Um, They're referred to as altcoins. Mm. They usually have a really obscure function um, that they solve for Internet. So we have kind of a smaller pool of exchanges. In Asia, in particular, where this is very popular, um, they kind of have a monopoly scenario, which Binance is, you know, the largest company. Um, They kind of reign over the crypto market. They're incredibly stable right now. Um, You know, they have no problem. They actually were kind of the ones who pushed the first domino here. Um, They exposed FTX. Um, They were kind of behind the ones spreading the rumor Mm. that they were insolvent. Um, so the main competitor takes down the other yeah, one. Yeah. No shocker there. Um, <laughs> but just broader market. Um, I mean, there are so many exchanges in Asia. You know, the regulation is different in each country. Um, Japan is kind of like gone back and forth on, you know, whether they'll be the strictest or most uh, graceful kind of environment for yeah. crypto. Um, whole Every country to country is going to be different. Um, but the coins are universal, right? So when coin prices go down, um, sure. You know, they go down everywhere. What you're going to look for here is whether or not each individual exchange is solvent, if they can actually meet customer demand for uh, kind of withdrawals. Um, and I kind of am speculating here. I don't believe a lot of them will be able yeah. to. What happens to Sam Bankman Freed now? I, what, so they're holding him. But what's the process for dealing with him, prosecuting him, charging him, letting him go, <laughs> crucifying yeah. him publicly? What are they going to do next? What what happens with him? So he's held in the Bahamas. Um, so obviously, you know, he's not going to get a trial in the Bahamas. He's going to be extradited to a country that has a more, you know, not to throw shade at the Bahamas, but respectable uh, <laughs> sure. legal system. Sure. Uh, so FTX is a global company. They have European, you know, business. They have Asian business. All of it went insolvent. They could hypothetically extradite him anywhere. Um, my guess is he ends up back in the U.S. And then it's no secret he's donated an absurd amount to the Democrats who currently reign over the DOJ. Um, I honestly can't imagine a world in which he gets a fair trial or fair investigation yeah. on the DOJ side. Um, I He's going to get off easy is kind of my take. Uh, you, if you look to, you know, uh, the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, everyone's writing puff pieces right now about him. You know, it grew too fast, but he's still a genius right. or, uh, you <laughs> know. Right. I, we would do it all over again if we could. That was the like basically direct quote from Kevin O'Leary, one of the investors who just got burnt by him. He said he would go back into business with him. So we're already doing the cover up. Yep. Uh, you know, people are playing cover for this basically giant money laundering operation that was the war machine for the left the last basically two election cycles. Um, so it would not surprise me at all if this guy gets like a slap on the wrist and is back in Silicon Valley within the next 10 years. You all have helped build MyPillow into the incredible company it is today. Now, Mike Lindell, inventor and CEO of MyPillow, wants to give back to our listeners. 
Right now, MyPillow is offering exclusive offers on their bed sheets, their six-piece towel set, and even offering an extended 60-day money-back guarantee. Orders placed now through December 25th will have an extended money-back guarantee through March 1st. The bed sheets are marked down as low as $29.98, and believe me when I say you will get a great night's sleep in these. Their six-piece towel set is made with USA cotton, comes with two bath towels, two hand towels, and two washcloths, typically retailed at $89.98, and is now just $39.98 with the promo code. There is a limited supply, so be sure to order now. Call 1-800-870-0283. Use the promo code SITREP, or go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square, and use promo code SITREP. It's unbelievable, and this is it's such an interesting story. And I think, again, in the United States, a lot of it is interesting because we know so little about this world, right? And again, there are people talking about it, but it's not most people by any means. In addition to this, um, as you talk to politicians, particularly politicians on the right, this is a huge issue. People need to understand. They need to understand. Um, probably don't. What are some other issues related to technology that are very important that a lot of us are just overlooking. Uh, if it's not related to Twitter or this right now, I, I don't even know what's happening, right? So what are some other issues that are important to you? Yes, yeah, so there have been two main like battlefronts, essentially, within tech policy over the last Congress, uh, one being antitrust. So, you know, there is a coalition on the right that is probably more aligned with a good chunk of the left mm. that believes in uh, strict antitrust regulation to take down folks like Amazon, Google, yep. Um, so we just passed in the House uh, the Merger Filing Fee Modernization Act, uh, which is a very foundational piece of antitrust legislation. It doesn't do a whole lot. It's just kind of the bare minimum if you've ever stood behind a podium and said you're tough on tech. You know, you think you'd support that. Uh, what we found out is we couldn't even get close to 40 Republicans wow. to vote in favor of it. Wow. It only passed because of Democrat support. Wow. And they all went around and said, you know, we're compromising too much or, uh, you know, it gives an, a blank check to the FTC. It was all a lie. And it was a result of the lobbying dollars spent in their district during the election cycle. They're beholden to the Silicon Valley apparatus just as much as we claim the left is. Yep. So, you know, great you know leaders such as Jim Banks and Congressman Buck just tune it out and they vote in favor of the common sense provisions that'll give Americans relief. Um, others, you know, not so much. They're still a little uh, beholden to the, the special interests. Um, the other frontier, uh, which I believe will probably be the bulk of the focus for the first part of this uh, new Congress is going to be privacy legislation. Mm -hmm. um, so it's no secret, you know, everyone's very familiar with the cookies kind of experience yep. on Google. Yep. It's what gets you those weird ads where, you know, you're like, I swear <laughs> I was just talking about this. Yeah. Um, yes, you were. So, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, everyone knows that it's, you know, gone way over uh, what's acceptable. They're collecting every droplet of data you can possibly give them. Uh, there's a lawsuit in the uh, Northern District of California mm -hmm. that implicates Facebook Meta um, for actually going into the back end of medical websites and pulling your health data wow. to advertise, you know, health related products to you. You have uh, California kind of taking the first big leap of putting stricter privacy legislation forward for protecting kids online. Um, but then you look at TikTok, um, which is no kind of uh, secret. They're a spying tool of the Chinese Communist Party. Um, but we're scared to even, you know, bring it up. Yeah. I just put a piece out in the Washington Times calling for, you know, an outright ban. 
Um, and that's still like a jarring thing to say around Washington, even though we know, you know, it's fully out in the open. They have plans to track specific mm -hmm. targeted Americans. We banned it off of military devices because we believe they were tracking troop movements. We're building kind of source networks. We know that it's just being weaponized against us, but we leave it out there. Um, and so those are the two frontiers, I believe, will probably be the, the main focus. Um, that's not to say the other ones are any less important. It's just we've neglected this policy area for, you know, essentially the entire dot-com revolution, right. heading into Web3. We've really never generated any form of legislation that protects the average American. Um, so we're playing catch-up, essentially. When you advise politicians on legislation, when you talk about these things, if you were to say this is the goal of legislation related to tech, what is what is the big goal? I, I don't know that I've ever been clear on, um, you, you know, we talk about so many different possibilities, um, but what should the overarching goal be? What should be driving the legislation? Yeah, I think, you know, we have to go back to what the web was supposed to be, right? It was supposed to be this kind of new frontier where creativity, innovation, and mm. discourse could occur without kind of the constraints of borders or, you know, geographic uh, restrictions. You know, you could communicate in California to New York or New York to Hong Kong. There was this kind of everything was intertwined and it was supposed to bring out the best in human flourishing. And what ended up happening is the markets were monopolized and the consumers were turned into products. We harvest their data yep. and we use it for a sales you know, pitch, essentially, to advertisers. And so when you view this from a regulatory perspective, everything should be centered around the idea of restoring that initial purpose of the Internet and kind of unlocking, you know, kind of human potential. Um, the Web is supposed to be in service of us. We're not supposed to be in service of, you know, search browsers who are just, you know, doing targeted advertising operations. Um, so making it safer and having less constraints on kind of the user experience um, is of the top priority for lawmakers when they approach this. Are you hopeful that we can get to that place? We see so many new social media platforms uh, that are, it seems like every week something else is being announced, but there are some large alternative platforms, uh, both on the social media side, the video side, um, certainly the podcasting world, it's everywhere. Are you hopeful that we can get to a place where there are not monopolies on information, where um, these platforms are in the right way regulated to protect privacy and, and the user? Can we get there or are we too far down the hole? I'm honestly pessimistic yeah. uh, because I think we're so far down this path of you know suppression, censorship, and these monopolies are entrenched in our markets, right? Like they have a stranglehold on the entire Silicon Valley. Um, and so it's deeply entrenched. And then each election cycle, we maybe only get two to three new candidates who come forward, you know, maybe one or two wins that really gets it. And that's just not a fast enough kind of reinforcement rate for us to actually tackle this. You need a substantial amount of votes. And I mean, frankly, the average senator has never sent a tweet. Right. You know, it's always been a communication <laughs> sure, staffer. Sure. And so when you go to them and tell them you were banned on Twitter, they don't even understand what that means, you know, in a day-to-day -day world. You know, it, when I was banned, you can search my, my Twitter name. It's publicly accessible, uh, but it comes up and it says I was suspended on Twitter. And the average person would think, you know, that's a bad thing. You know, he had to have done something wrong. Right. That's like a social credit score. Right. And I have no fair trial I can, you know, submit for. The appeal process is done through a robot. 
Um, this is just things, these are things that are lost with not only the legislative yeah. staff of these elected officials, but the elected official themselves. And so it's, we're playing the catch up game on policy, but also on education. We have to explain how the internet works to, you know, a large portion of our elected officials. And that's a daunting task. So um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a grim outlook, but it's a, rea- a realistic one. One of the, one of the, the hard things about this is people opt into this. People decide to use these services. People decide to get on these platforms. People decide to share their private information. And so that takes a lot of the, I think, um, you know, the air out of the room when we're talking about legislating it or controlling it or telling a company what they can and can't do because people are opting into it. So how do you motivate someone who doesn't care or isn't interested in caring enough to sit down, learn what they need to learn, understand what they need to understand. Uh, why is it important for, a le- and I, I believe it is, but why is it important for a legislature or a politician to to care enough to get involved? Yeah, so I think the the best way to kind of quantify this for people, because, you know, in the West and in particular the United States, we always want a dollar amount behind the sure. harm. <laughs> right, uh, you know, we, right. we want to... We, we are Americans the, after all, yes. Yes, we want to know the cost benefit <laughs> of a decision. Um, so the easiest one to explain is, you know, logging into a, a site like Amazon or a site like Facebook and giving them all your information. Facebook nowadays, if you wanted to create a new account, you have to scan your driver's license. Mm-hmm. You know, these are things that kind of merge into the real world. Well, now, like, let's take a step back and realize the cybersecurity realities. None of these companies have innovated on the consumer protection side. Right. So all of your data is essentially accessible insofar as the hacker is competent enough and motivated enough. Um, their offense is always easier than defense in the cybersecurity arena. And so let's say they pull all of your data and it's enough to really kind of make a run at an identity theft kind of attempt. That's countless. I mean, your life could truly be derailed because this mega corporation was more focused on targeted advertising enhancement than protecting you. And so you look at that, that's horrible. You know, that's one prong that could potentially motivate someone to say no to these platforms. Um, I think the other one's a parent perspective. It's no secret that these uh, platforms are riddled with depraved content that is going to basically ruin your child forever. I mean, if you just take your kid's phone and scroll through TikTok, that algorithm is catering the content to what it believes the child wants the most. And so whether that be, you know, stimuli overload or really just degenerate forms mm-hmm. of kind of basically like soft core porn, right. um, your kid is being compromised at a very young age and that's, you can't undo that. That's like their foundational upbringing. Your kid's online nowadays more than he's in the real world. Uh, you know, your double digit hours of the day, the average child is online. Uh, they go to school, they use the computer. They go, you know, in the car to sport practice, they're using the computer. They get home. Instead of, you know, going outside to play, they play video games. You're on the screen more than you are in the real world. And so I think it's difficult because, you know, if this was a real world issue, we could point to it. We say this is where the pain point is. Um, these are obscure kind of like cause and effect cases you have to make yeah. of like your kid got addicted to drugs because he was on TikTok. That's a hard case to make. Um, but it's a realistic one. I mean, the content that they're taking in does not help their life. Yeah. Uh, this is my last question, I guess on this is because it it always is so, um, interesting to me that people on the right politicians on the right don't care more about, uh, about these issues. And one very practical approach is 
one very practical concern or consideration is um, that those on the left seem to be better at using these platforms even for elections. And so when it comes even just to the practical application of how an election unfolds, why do those on the right, why are they so um, far removed from what's actually taking place? I was talking to uh, Raheem Kassam last week. And uh, he talked about TikTok, and I'm sure you've heard him talk about TikTok. Uh, he, he does not like it at all. <laughs> but he talked about how, you know, even we look at the demographic, the voting demographic in New York, um, the difference between a Republican winning and a Democrat winning in, in the governor's race were that TikTok generation. It's those, those young people who are on those platforms, who are using those platforms. So it seems like if anything would motivate a politician, it would be just understanding how that world works, and yet they don't. What's the reason people on the right are so slow to understand that? Yeah, so it's funny you bring up Raheem. I think he's a really good case study. He's a good friend of mine. Uh, he rolls out these kind of like Instagram reels, right? It's kind of the the Instagram competitor to TikTok. Right. And they, they do a great engagement. He gains a ton of followers. And then they just stop working. We didn't change anything. They just picked up on who was succeeding. Mm. And then they, they killed it. So he's a competent user who's messaging a conservative message. And then they silo him off and, you know, you can't succeed. Yep. And I think the problem is a lot of them are preemptively censored. They're known as candidates. Mm. They never taste the success. And then their consultants have like an industrial complex to tell yep. them we just need to shift our strategy. Right. It's it's not the platform. You know, we just shift it and then you'll succeed. And meanwhile, they're raking in money. Um, and we hit a point in the election cycle where uh, it's not cost effective to switch consultants. And so you get sucked into these stupid failing strategies. And then these cons these candidates who have never logged into their own account, right. who have never sent a tweet, posted a TikTok, you know, any of those things, uh, they have no idea how the platform works. So they just take their word for it. Um, and we just repeat the cycle. Yep. Um, you know, this last cycle, we had J.D. Vance, you know, uh, a Silicon Valley vet basically make it through. Um, and I think he'll probably wake up a lot of his peers in the Senate to the realities of these platforms and um, kind of the... The dynamic where it's just favoring the left, you know, content yeah. and their candidates. Um, but I, I wouldn't really go as far to say we're not as good at it. Uh, we've just been taken off the the map. We're not even competing. Yeah. Um, we're playing with ourselves, right? It's like <laughs> we we get told we go to uh, you're kicked off Twitter, but you know, Gab will be just as successful sure, right. or, or Getter, and you're just you're sitting there talking to yourself. Right. Um, and it's the same thing when you're on the platform. Your tweets are siloed off. You're uh, Instagram posts are siloed. You're just posting for yourself and right. anyone who just magically stumbles across <laughs> you. But um, I mean, we're not playing a fair game. So it is a regulatory issue. Jake, uh, so much more we could talk about on this issue. Huge issue. It impacts all of our lives. Where can people uh, follow you and uh, not only learn more about you, but your Twitter feed is great. A lot of great information. Um, other places people can follow you. Yeah, so I am now unbanned from Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you can find me at uh, Real and then the letter J Denton. Um, you can also find me on the Heritage Foundation's website. If you just go into the search bar and type in Jake Denton, I'll pop up. Um, so I kind of have weekly writings that will go out on the issue of the week. And then uh, here towards the next Congress, we'll have some more long-form research, hoping to kind of uh, not only explain to regulators, but the American people kind of the realities of the, the online situation. So uh, yeah, keep an eye out for me. Great. Jake Denton, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. We were not made to live in isolation. Sadly, many of our veterans feel they need to fight their battles alone. 
This self-isolation has led to the staggering statistic of more than 20 veterans taking their lives every day. A lot of guys end up drinking, a lot of guys end up losing hope. Some of them will go to the VA and they'll try to get, you know, prescription medications to help with PTSD. You know, they'll get pills for anxiety, they'll get pills because they can't sleep, now they'll get pills for depression before they know it. They're taking 12 different medications. And when it's not working out, these guys lose hope. And that's why there's 23 guys a day committing suicide. The mission of Mighty Oaks is to eradicate the veteran suicide epidemic and help our warriors change their legacies. As a result, we've been able to help over 4,000 veterans and first responders by equipping them with the tools they need to live the lives they were created to live. Everything they said just kept hitting me in the heart over and over and over again. It's like all the things that I didn't know that I needed to hear. And uh, I opened my heart to God that week, dude, and like, <laughs> I've been a different person ever since. Our faith-based, peer-to-peer approach has one of the highest success rates of any program available today, offering hope and understanding to those who need it most. We provide our programs and resources, including travel, at no cost to our warriors. I remember talking to a licensed uh, social worker who actually handed me a pamphlet to Mighty Oaks. So I went, and I'm glad I did. By aligning their lives to biblical principles, these men and women are able to lead their families, their communities, and our nation. Our mission is to serve and restore our nation's warriors and families who have endured hardship through their service to America and to help them find new life purpose through hope in Christ. It's your generosity that can make a difference in the lives of the men and women who have fought for our country and our freedoms. Now that they're home, don't let them fight alone. Learn more at MightyOaksPrograms.org. Appreciate Jake's perspective. Please go and uh, check out his social media. Follow him. He mentioned he writes for the Heritage Foundation and puts out a lot of great information. Uh, this is an area, as I mentioned earlier, that we know touches every part of our lives, and yet we don't really generally know how to navigate uh, what these platforms are doing and how they're regulating us. And yet we need to support legislatures, politicians who do get it and who understand their role in regulating the platforms to protect our privacy and to help us as the consumers. So please check out Jake's work and uh, you'll be glad that you did. When you get done doing that, make sure that you are subscribed to this podcast. As you uh, are listening, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. You can leave us a rating. That would be fantastic. Leave us a comment if you have the opportunity to do that. And then share this content out with others, many other people in your lives, I'm sure, that need to hear this content. Please share this out with them. Then jump over to YouTube. You can find our YouTube channel. Search for The Situation Report, and you will find our YouTube channel there. Subscribe. Hit that notification bell. Leave us a comment. Share the content out. And then go back through our archives. Many, many, many great episodes there with wonderful guests that you don't want to miss. So please check that out. Thank you again for watching and or listening. Look forward to talking to you next time.
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.